0: So let's look at James chapter 4. This is the passage which I have been assigned to preach on. And I have never preached on James chapter 4 before. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members you lust and do not have? You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you don't have because you don't ask. And even when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask amiss so that you can spend it on your pleasures, adulterers and adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Praise God. And the passage continues to be just exactly the same the right way through. It's basically a list of sins, which I'm preaching on this morning. Thank you, darling, for assigning me with this passage. Okay. So it's very strong, and we're going to look at what's being said. And I'm going to preach on a list of sins this morning, which I have never done before. But first of all, I want to ask you this. Do you have a friend like James. Because James is writing a letter to his friends, his Jewish brothers and sisters, and he's having a go at them. He's absolutely he's totally strong. I mean, have you ever of an encouragement sandwich? That's what Christians are supposed to do. Say something nice and then criticize the little bit that they need and then say something nice again so that they kind of feel good. And he said, you know what doesn't work because I only remember the bad bit in the middle. You know, it's like, I really like you, a really nice person, you be really not really soft thing. I really like you. A really nice person. It's like... <laughs> James doesn't bother with that. He's just straight at it, isn't he? Adulterers. How strong is that? If you have a friend like James, you love them to bits. What a great friend! I wish I had James in my life. Just someone who calls it like it is. Who just says, "You know what you're doing? This is what you're doing wrong, and you need to change." No mucking around. No, no playing games. Just bam! I love it. I love it. They are brave people, and they're few and far between. I tell you what, this day and age, you can't say anything without people getting offended. Oh, you hurt my feelings. But James just doesn't muck around with that. He's straight to it. And if you have a friend like James, you welcome him, and you hope that you don't silence him by getting too hurt and too sensitive every time he hints at something wrong in you. You can silence the Jameses in your life. You absolutely can. They won't speak to you if you're if you're too difficult They won't throw their pearls before swine. But the reason that James speaks like this is because he loves them. It's not because he's some psycho angry guy who wants to have a go at them. He loves these people. He can't bear to see them living anything but their best. He knows how fabulous they're meant to be. He's like, what are you doing, guys? You're a champion. Why are you living like this? So it's love that causes this anger. The greatest anger comes out of great, fierce, fierce love. And God is fiercely in love with you. He can't bear to see you living a second-rate life. Can't bear it. Neither can I for that matter. I can't stand it. His purpose is for us to be like Jesus in these few short years that we have left. It's not long. It'll all be over. So let's be full on for Jesus while we're here. And if we're missing it at all, praise God, we've got people like James, even if we have to read them, but who will tell us the truth. You know, Phil Pringle prophesied over Chris and I, me, prophesied over me. He said, you make great disciples, beautiful, brilliant, noble, elegant Christians dedicated to God. That was, yes. And here is an example of one, self-proclaimed. (laughs) ha That's our heart. Our heart is for us all to be like Jesus. And so that's why we preach from passages like this. And that's why James does. Not because we want to be tough, but because we want to see beautiful, elegant, passionate, wonderful Christians who are full on for God. And so let's see what James does here. He just, he just, he just hits issue after issue after issue. So let's just, just go through a few of these issues. There's a few too many for me to cover fully. But I just want to get a hold of some of them and, 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 and find the answer. There's got the answer in there. This is something I actually do. I, I, I don't quite know what to call this message. Maybe just deal with it or get full on, or issues and answers. But when I have an issue in my life, whether it's something that's going on outside of me or whether it's something in my own life I'm not happy with, I just write it down. I actually write issues, answers. And I go, okay, this is the deal. I'm not happy with this. This is making me sad. I don't like this person. This one's being mean to me. I'm doing this. And then I write the answers. I just literally do. I go, okay, God, what's the answer? And then I just I get scriptures and they come into my head and answers. And I go, right, that's what I've got to do. And I just sort it out. That's what I do. I really do. And then I throw them out because they're very private pieces of paper. <laughs> but, you know, we've just got to sort things out. Get on with it and sort it out. So let's start with this. So the first thing he says, where do wars and fights come from you? They come because of your desire for pleasure. You lust, you don't have, you kill and covet. I mean, you kill. It's like, what? We kill each other? And yes, Christians have killed each other. We don't tend to do it so much these days, but in the old days, my goodness, the Protestants and the Catholics or the, you know, the Lutherites versus the, you know, the non-, they, they literally killed each other. They were so cross that they didn't have the same beliefs. We tend not to go out and kill each other these days as Christians. But, you know, we do kill. Jesus says if you hate someone, it's like killing them, you know. And so there are Christians that are, you know, (laughs) the Pentecostals, (laughs) or the other people say, oh, them or that. Just don't hate anyone. Love the Christians. Okay, we're different. We've got things we don't agree with, but but love them. And, 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 you know, don't hate someone. Don't sort of go, oh, you know, I'm jealous of them because they've got this or because they've got that. That's It's like... Just stop it. And, you know, I love what Chris said. He said, I will. Yeah. We have a will and we can use it. I will. I was being interviewed by counsellors the other day. I have to do some all sorts of interesting things with docs. And I had two ladies interviewing me. So I was sitting there and not, not I, I didn't there. It was because of my beautiful foster boys. So I go and get interviewed to make sure, you know, um, that... <laughs> Yes, so because of the foster children, we, we have to go to all sorts of interesting meetings. And so here I was, sitting here, and they were t- saying things. And I said, well, everyone has choices, don't they? We get choices. So they have to make the right choices. And I believe they can make the right choices. And they are sort of like, oh, oh but I don't know, they're victims. I'm like, yeah, but they get choices. So we were kind of having a little interesting time there in that room. But let's just support each other. You know, I remember one time uh, just, uh, I just seeing, you know, in the in the net somewhere, some preacher was having a go at Joel Osteen and he actually showed a clip of Joel Osteen. He was preaching against Joel Osteen and he showed a clip of Joel Osteen, said, look at this. And then he analyzed why the clip was so bad. And I'm just like incredulous. I watched the whole thing because I was so incredulous that he would do that. And the little tiny clip that he showed of Joel Osteen really blessed me. Like I loved it. (laughs) And I was like, oh wow, yeah, yeah. And then the guy went on to say why he was so bad and all that. And I just thought, Seriously? Like, what? Are you serious? Like, oh, that's nuts. That's exactly what James is talking about. That guy who did that, he's now out of ministry today. God bless him. I hope he gets sorted out. And meanwhile, Joel Osteen's still up there preaching positively. And yes, he doesn't tend to preach from James chapter 4, Joel Osteen. He just says, you're great, you're great, you're great. But for all I know, that's what God is telling him to do every Sunday morning. Maybe Joel's down there saying, please, God, please, can I be more negative? Please, can I rebuke them? And God says, no, you are always Mr. Positive. Big smile, please, Joel. I don't know what God's told him to do. Who am I to criticize him? Do you know what I'm saying? Let's just kind of back off of that kind of whole approach and just, you know, stop being like that. Just stop fighting and being difficult. Just love one another and and get along with one another. And, you know, he says you're jealous and you don't get things and you want things. And I think, what is this? This is crazy. He calls it friendship with the world. Now, that doesn't just necessarily mean that we're out in the world because you can bring all your attitudes from the world into church. That's what I've discovered. And, and you can sort of think, well, why don't I ever get to sing? Or why do I have to do this? And why do they always get me on kids? Why can't I be out in the service more often? Or how come this happens? Or why is she so good looking? Or how come he has such a good wife? I nearly said husband. But, you know, it's kind of like we can be jealous and silly and fight and, and then kind of have little discussions about, well, who gets to do this or who gets to do that? Or how come I'm always stuck on, you know, at the back there? Like, Look at Fiona. She's always back there now, little sweetheart. You! (laughs) You know, but people, it's like, who cares? Just lay down your life. We shouldn't be fighting and fussing about such little things. How come I get to live on the Central Coast? Why can't I live in Mossman with all the other rich people? I don't know. Let's be content with the life that God gives us. But we can get jealous and coveting and ridiculous, and then, you know, it causes these fights. And, and it's just not smart. And he just says, he says, don't you know that the spirit who dwells in you yearns jealously? He's a, he's jealous for you. He's jealous. He hates to share love. He, he, you're all his. And if your love is for that next handbag or for that great career, he's jealous. He gets angry. And so he should. How do you think Chris would feel if I came home and said, Honey, do you mind if I go out on a date? What do you mean? Well, I'm not going to do anything, but I just want to go on a date with another guy. It's like, what? I mean, that would be terrible. You don't do that. You don't sort of, even if you're not sort of committing adultery, just, just even flirting with another guy is disgusting if you're married. I would never do that. I'm all for Chris. He's my man. You know, that's it no more dates for me. I'm sorry, guys. It's the end. (laughs) There was a time when I had to sort of push them all away, but now it's just me and Chris Brown. Yay. And that's the way it should be, you know? Goodness me. I'm I'm a one man woman. And I'm a one God woman. And I'm not giving my heart for anything else. And we've got to be prepared to just stop it, stop the fighting and silliness. And he says, look, if you want something, he says, you ask. You don't have it because you don't ask. So if you really want something, ask God about it. Maybe he wants you to have it. But then he says, oh, but you're not getting it because you ask amiss. You want to spend it on your pleasures. Wow. Sometimes people wonder, why didn't God answer my prayer? Well, maybe that's why. Because our motive is selfish. Our motive is for ourselves. It's not really about God. So it's, it's good for us to examine our motives and say, well, 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 why do I want that thing? Really, why do I want it? Even Christian things. I pray for things sometimes that are full-on Christian things. And God says, why do you want that? And I go, oh, maybe to make me look good? And I was like, yeah. I'm like, okay. Well, I just kind of drop that prayer. <laughs> we don't need to fight. Now, you know, we've got... A, we've got um, A godly man here on the front row, and he shared a story with me once, and I asked if I could share it about a a fight, basically, that Byron had in business. This is Byron Gervin, great man. So someone unjustly claimed $10,000 from him. And Byron said, no. And then he got his lawyers to say no for a couple of thousand dollars. They said no too. And then decided to get the judge to say no. And so before the matter went to court... Byron was praying over it, obviously, and upset about it because it's not, it's not even just the money. It's this whole, the whole feeling of fighting and the feeling of someone trying to do the wrong thing by you and all that. And God said to him, you're holding this issue too high. He said, you need to let it go. It's just spare change, was the words that Byron told me. Spare change. And so Byron was like, you know, God is bigger than injustice. God is bigger than $10,000. And he said, You need to let it go. So they went into the court because it was already set, and the judge said, Do You want to settle? And Byron said, Yeah, we'll settle. And so he went out, talked to the guy, they you know, changed him out very slightly, and um, it was about $500 different or something. And then um, he paid him. Even though he felt the guy was wrong, and it wasn't fair, it was unjust, everything else, he knew that God said, Just let it go. So he went no idea, had the 10 grand. And um, and that was the end of the matter. And, God, and he's never heard from the guy again. And the guy's happy. He got his money unjustly. And, and yet, God, Byron said, I just felt so free after that. I learned such a great big lesson. God is bigger than that. This guy is out of my life. I spent 10 grand to learn a great lesson. I, tend, I spent 10 grand to know that God is, is not you know, fussed about little amounts of money. And the really great thing is that right after that right after that, God gave him more work and it was worth two hundred thousand dollars. So he's like if I can give you you want money, I can give you money. Don't fight about ten grand, I'm got ten grand. That's the that's that's the way to deal with a fight. Just go to God and say, What do you want me to do? Now there may be times when God wants us to deal with issues in a different way. But you just let go. Let let go of the injustice. Let it's not fair. Let it go. Just don't worry about it. God is bigger than that. And if you deal with things like that, you're hardly going to have major fights in life because God's going to get you through. He's going to get you through. So
1: we need to have that attitude.
0: He speaks about friendship with the world, being a friend of the world, wanting wanting the stuff of the world or the honor of the world or the recognition of the world. But the world doesn't like us. The world never likes Christians. They're never going to like us. Don't try and... And get them on side. They're not on our side. The more, the more godly we are, the more we rub up against the world. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about getting all the stuff. Just be happy to put it down. Lay it down. You know, um, on Eleanor's birthday, I'm going to share an Ellen story. And she was little... It's not a bad one. It's all right, John. And she was little... Um, she had a new pair of shorts. I believe it was shorts. You think it was a skirt. Is that right? He had a new pair of shorts, and she came out, and she looked really smart. And she said, I think I might wear these shorts when I go to heaven to show Jesus. And because she thought, this would be a good outfit to wear to heaven, you know, as you do. And I said, oh, Pop, you can't wear anything when you go to heaven. And she said to me, do you think we go to heaven in the nude?" And I was like, well, that's one way of looking at it. And it's true. We can't take it with us. We can't take anything to heaven. All the things we struggle and strive for. We can't take it with us. So, so why allow ourselves to commit adultery, seeking after things and, and wanting and lusting after things when we can't take them with us? We work hard and we use our money wisely and God will bless us. But we've got to be prepared to let it go. You know, when, when God called Chris and, and me to Russia, we sold our house in Sydney and we surely didn't make any money. It was a very financially stupid thing to do. <laughs> and we gave away our car, but God blessed us. When we went to, we went via America to Russia as missionaries. And when we were in America, there was these lovely pastors and they said to us, they, they said that scripture, you know, anyone who gives away homes and houses and leaves fa- houses and families for my sake will receive how much i can't remember the scripture but we'll receive much more in heaven and, and on earth and it's so true we've we've received car when we came back from russia someone gave us a car and we've had fabulous cars ever since and god's given us a beautiful home for our children you can't you can't outgive god he'll bless you You've just got to let it hold it lightly i love this story of ct Studd. i love this guy when i was at school when i was about seven, 16 17 18 you know, I was pretty worldly as a Christian. I wasn't um I wasn't a naughty girl. I was always a good girl. In fact I liked to please the world. I liked to be so good that they'd give me all sorts of rewards and honors, which indeed they did. You know, if you know the way to work with the world, you can work your way through the world. And now I did know how to do that. I did know how to be a good girl, so I got myself made head girl, you know, and I got all sorts of prizes at school. And um but I knew that God was calling me, but I was like, oh. I didn't want to, I didn't want too much of that because I thought God's going to get me to do something crazy, like be a missionary or something. I don't want to do that. You know, and I, I, I was holding on to my life. And so I was kind of worldly. The people, people liked me. They knew I was a Christian, but Ruth, you're not one of those really annoying sort of Christians. You're sort of like, you know, I, I like you. And I'm like, oh, that's good. I can still be a Christian, still go to heaven, but just fit in. And that's how I liked it. And um, and then, you know, I went overseas and, and God spoke to me. And one of the ways He spoke to me was through this lovely man. I can't wait to meet him. C.T. Studd. I picked up this book and, and He stirred me. Because, you know, this, by now I was studying law at Sydney Uni. See, I even got a good mark. You know, I just did everything right. I was at uni. I was going to be a lawyer. Get it all, do it all right. And I read this book, and I was just like, oh, God, what if I just laid it all down? What if I just said I'd do anything? I thought, that is so scary. God is so scary. I didn't know what he would say. I was sure he might say, be a missionary. I don't know why. And that's the one thing I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to go out to some crazy other country. And, and, and you know, I read this book. This guy, I love him to bits. He, was, um, he grew up in a very, very wealthy home. You know, he went to Cambridge University and he 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 met Jesus, but he was kind of still going really well in the world. I mean, this guy, he had it all over me. He played cricket for England. He toured Australia. He got fabulous scores. He was famous in England. He was, you know, an English cricketer. He was, he was the star. He was very well known and, and loved in England. And then he got full on for God. And he decided, right, I'm going to follow God with all my heart. I really encourage you to read this book because he he became a missionary in India and Africa. But what I love about it is that he he was so rich and he knew that God was speaking to him about all his riches. He had so much and he felt he needed to give it all away. And so he agonized over it and prayed about it. But when he hit 25 and he got his inheritance, he gave it all away, the whole lot. And it was worth millions of dollars in in today's amounts. They had a massive mansion, and he gave every single cent away. And he was getting married at the time. He saved just a little bit for his wife and her wedding dress. And she said, no, let's give it all. So he, gave it, he, was, com- he was completely poor at the end. He just gave it all away because that's what God... Now, God doesn't always tell us to do that, but sometimes are we willing? Like if God actually said to you, sell your house, would you? For him, it's kind of like, ah. I, you know, obviously be wise, talk to people, but... It's just that attitude that I'm not, I, don't, I don't love this world so much. I'm going to heaven in the nude. Can't take it with me. So that what I can take is the obedience that I've got and the souls that I've saved and the great things that I've done. He says this at one point when he started to get full on. He had the pleasure of leading someone to the Lord. He says, I cannot tell you what joy it gave me to bring that first soul to the Lord Jesus Christ. I have tasted almost all the pleasures that the world can give. I do not suppose that there is one that I have not experienced, but I can tell you that those pleasures were nothing compared to the joy of saving that one soul given to me. Praise God. Nothing like it. Praise God. Just just one awesome thing, in God. So that's... Friendship with the Let's go look at a few other things he talks about. And I'm not going to go into detail about them all. But look, verse 11, speaking evil of someone, slandering each other, judging our brothers harshly, putting them down, not believing the best in them. He says, why are you doing that? Verse 13, he talks about people... Boasting about tomorrow, saying, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. There's nothing wrong with, with changing cities to go you know, for your business or your job to make money. But if it's not God, if God doesn't want you to do it, he says, what is your life? You ought to say, if God wants us to do that, that's what we'll do. We need to know. I mean, it's, it's great that we make plans, even if they're sort of Christian plans, but, you know, we're very into that, making goals and things, but we've just got to keep a light hold on even our goals because who knows what God's got planned for us. I've got a friend who fought sickness for 10 years through her 30s. She was really healthy up till about 30, and then she was really sick for 10 years. Well, I don't think that was her goal. <laughs> no one makes those sorts of goals, do they? When I'm 30, I'm going to be sick for 10 years so I can't do much. She had have to stop the car because she was shaking and, and, and sick and couldn't cope and couldn't drive and just sit there and pray and, and wonder if she's going to lose her driving license. And then I mean, she was But she kept fighting in faith and believing God, and now she's a great woman of faith and she's totally healed. But, you know, that's not your goal, right? you know, like my life goals. Be sick for 10 years. <laughs> We've all been through stuff, and there's no way it was part of our life goals. <laughs> Didn't have that. That God no, 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 wasn't planning this one. So you've got to keep a light hold on even your goals. We have our dreams and have our goals and make godly plans. But who knows what God will do? Well, I do know this. It will be good. Because remember, he passionately loves us. So if he does take us through a season we were not expect him, we rejoice. We go, okay, God, it's all right. I trust you. It's all good. And then let's look at verse 17. To him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is a sin. So maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I, I don't feel like i do that wrong, Ruth. I mean, I'm not, I'm not that worldly. I'm, you know, I serve in church and do the right thing. Well, I come to church anyway. And I don't do this and I don't do that. And maybe you don't really do anything. You know, he says, this is a different sort of thing. This is someone who sits there and says, well, I don't do that. I don't do this. I, don't, I just I don't do anything much. And that's wrong too. He said, that's no good. Just because you think, oh, I don't do the wrong thing, But are you doing the right thing? That's called a sin of omission. You know you should help. You know you should do this, but you're not doing it. You're not doing nothing much for God. That's no good either. James is not letting you off the hook. (laughs) He's saying, come on, you guys have got to get going and and go for God and be passionate for God and do whatever he wants you to do, whatever that may be. Maybe he doesn't want you to go to Africa and be a missionary. Maybe he wants you to cook soup. You know, Linda and I had this little walk one time. I said, let's prophesy over each other's future and, and just I'm just going to describe the best future I can imagine for Linda Brady. She went, oh, yeah, let's do it. So I did. And I just described this fabulous future that included just all sorts of great things based on who Linda was. I said, okay, now you do it for me. And then she did it for me, and it was great. I loved it. I was so excited, And she said, all this fabulous, you know, you're going to preach, and people are going to get blessed, and you're going to do this. And I'm like, oh, I'm so excited. This is a cool thing to do. And then she said... And you're going to cook soup. And I was like, what? And she goes, I couldn't get it out of my brain. It's all I could think was that you're going to cook soup. And I go, Linda, that's so strange that you should say that. I said, because I've got this huge pot of soup right now on my stove and I'm cooking it. And I, I really felt like God told me to do it. And she goes, I know. I think you're meant to be cooking soup. And I'm like, it's true. And do you know? I can't remember a single thing, really. I mean, I know she said generally good things. I can't remember anything that I said to her or she said to me. Can you remember? We just kind of ran it on about getting people saved and healed and all that. But I distinctly remember her telling me that God says I'm going to cook soup. And it was a word from God. And I do cook soup. I cook soup all the time. I cook soup for my beautiful 82-year-old mother. And I take it down my pumpkin soup and say, here, mum. here's some soup. And I am obeying God. That was a word from God for me. You know what I'm saying? I cook soup for my daughters. Here's some soup. Take it to work. And Eleanor shares it with her friends at work. And I say, did your mum make this soup? She says, yes, she did. <laughs> your mum must be a nice mum. Yes, she is. She makes me soup. And I make soup. I'm, I'm, I'm quite good at making soup, actually, And uh, if I may say Um But it's so funny because you sort of think, well, you know, there's all these grand things you can do. You know, since you started, went to Africa and India, and then God tells me to cook soup. It's like, whatever. Do you know in God's eyes, there's no difference between cooking soup and preaching to the heathen in Africa because it's all about obedience. It's obedience he's looking for. And if you obey God, I'm telling you, he'll turn that bowl of soup into something marvelous. He'll change lives with that bowl of soup. So whatever it is that God is telling you to do, get out there and you do it. Praise God. And see what he can do with your bowl of soup. Praise the Lord. So then finally he speaks to the rich in chapter 5. And he says, you know, you, he talks about people who are not using their money for God. And again, so strong. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth eaten he, He's just, he's very, very strong. You know, we really need to be talking to each other more like this. (laughs) It's exciting. No mucking around. But there's always an answer. So in all of these issues, God has a way that he wants you to deal with them. And so I just want you to look back to verse 6, from verse 6 to verse 10, where he really calls us to what he's got, the answers that he's got for us. He says in verse 6, he gives more grace. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Spurgeon says this, Sin seeks to enter, grace shuts the door. Sin tries to get the mastery, but grace, which is stronger than sin, resists and will not permit it. Sin gets us down at times and puts its foot on our neck, but grace comes to the rescue. Sin comes up like Noah's flood, but grace rides over the top of the mountains like the ark. Uh Grace is the answer for us, and God's got more grace, more grace. If there's any issue, maybe your issues aren't in James's list. Maybe you've got different issues, but there's more grace. You had a bit of grace, but there's more. There's so much grace for us. And he says, this is what you can do. This is your I will. Look at verse 7. Submit to God. Go, okay, God. All right. Okay. Yeah, okay. You can feel that thing inside of you, can't you? That, that that prideful, stubborn thing. I can feel it sometimes if Chris and I have had a little thing, you know, a little, and there's something inside, you go, mm, 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 and then you just like, oh, right, I'm sorry, I was wrong. It's, you can feel yourself letting go of being right and just letting go of your pride and going, yeah, yeah, that was wrong. And it's humbling. It's like, oh, me again. Missed it. But we all have to do that. We all have to go, I'm wrong. It's okay. I'm wrong. It's all right to be wrong. He says in verse 10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Just humble yourself. Go, God, I missed it again. I've been weak. Just be humble. Don't be proud. Just say, just genuinely say, submit to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I love that verse. I love that verse. When I go, God, he goes, yes. He's not coming kind to of just there, you know, what? <laughs> you. He's like, yeah, yeah. he can't wait to come. As soon as he goes up, he's he's just waiting to get up and come close. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Deal with these issues. We just need to make a decision. He says in verse 9, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. We need to have genuine sorrow. Not, well, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, so... In what way do you think you did the wrong thing here? Well, yeah, but you know, you, you did this, you did that. That's not sorry. Sorry is about me. Sorry is about I've missed it. God. Not, well, you know, God. I mean, you know, what about what about Eve? What about Chris? What about the pastor? I mean, I mean, what about what about my genes? I can't help it. This way, you know. That's no, 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 no. Sorry is, yeah. You know, it was me, wasn't it? I really chose that, and that's wrong. And I—it cho- was my decision, my free decision. But it's so good. He says, just just be genuinely sorry. And He comes near, and there's more grace. There. come on, come on, let's, let's start again. Someone sent me a text message last week and said, "I've really blown it today. I've had a—you know, had a bad day?" And I went, I looked at it and went, hmm. And I looked at the clock, and it was only 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I said, well, there's still plenty of day left. Why don't you start again? <laughs> as far as I know, they did. I thought, well, okay, start again. Just get on with it again. There's more grace for the rest of the day. There's more grace for the rest of your life. Maybe you think, oh, I'm too old. I've, been, I've missed it. Well, there's more grace. Maybe you feel like I've, I've done all this stuff wrong. There's more grace. There's more. There's just more. I don't care what you think. There's more grace. And there's a passionate, exciting life for you. Why would you want to fuss about what the world's got to offer when God has got so much excitement serving Him passionately and completely? It's definitely the only way to live. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. He will lift you up. We don't have to lift ourselves up. We don't have to go, He'll just lift you up. When you get lifted up, up, you don't do anything. It's just, up I go. He'll lift you up to have the life you're meant to have. You go to heaven where you're meant to be and to have the position, wherever that may be, whether it's a tiny little hut in Africa where this guy died. Without his family, his family lived in England while he lived alone in Africa because it was too, too dangerous in those days for them to go with him. His little hut in Africa was so much higher than the mansion that he was born in. God will lift you up. So let's be passionate. Let's not be worldly. Let's not play games. Let's be passionate for God.